0: Okay, welcome. So, how many people were here for Cy Rogers last week? All right. Is that phenomenal or what? It's so powerful. He, uh, you know, has a really controversial message. And by the way, if you, some of the things he said, uh, if you have any questions about them, or if you're like, wait, that doesn't seem right, feel free to talk to me about it. I mean, this is no easy subject, and we'll find out in heaven who's really right about how to handle some of these things, but uh, it's a wonderful thing about the Word of God. We go back and reach our own conclusions, but uh, i be happy to, to talk with you uh, if you have any lingering questions, but I just encourage you to stay connected with that ministry, cyrogers.com, lots of other stuff out there, teachings that he sells. Also, his CDs from last Sunday, we were not selling them. If you you got one, you happened to get one early, but uh, there was sort of a a miscommunication. They will be on sale if you want one uh, from last Sunday, uh, a CD of the teaching. Okay. Very good. So we are going through the book of Acts chapter by chapter. Why don't you rise for the reading of God's word? And we are in Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Now it happened in Iconium. That they went together to the synagogue of the Jews, and so spoke that a great multitude of the Jews and the Greeks believed. But the unbelievers, but the rather the unbelieving Jews, stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. Let's pray. Father, I just pray that you open up our hard hearts, Lord, that we may hear everything the Holy Spirit wants to tell us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you can be seated. So the book of Acts, we've been away from it for a couple of weeks, a really important book. I have a friend who's a pastor who uh, Once every three to five years, he takes uh, his church through the book of Acts. Why is it so important? Because the book of Acts, again, is the model for God's church. We have learned in our study of this book that the church was created by Jesus to be really, really, really simple. But we really, really, really complicate things, man does. We just make something that was made to be simple, just something to, uh, uh, you know, church, something that was established by Jesus so that we could have just a simple relationship with God. We make it real complicated. We add our own ideas, traditions, and rituals. And, you know, man often works in churches something like this, you know, a light bulb. Uh, will go off in someone's head, and they'll say, you know, I, I think it would be a great idea to write, to uh, light candles before the service, just, in, you know, right before the pastor goes up. And, you know, Jesus is the light of the world. The candles are great pictures of that. And so, you know, they start lighting candles. And then maybe six months later, someone else says, you know, I, I really think the pastor should start wearing a robe. You know, we we need to have just there an added element of respect for the position. And so the pastor starts to wear robes. And someone else says, you know, I think we should really enter the Christmas season with a church-wide feast. And so they start that. And then year after year, they do that. And then others suggest holy water, and that's incorporated. Someone else suggests kneeling at a certain point uh, in the service, and someone else suggests, "Well, we need to have this amount of songs each Sunday at this point or that point." Someone else suggests, "Well, let's have a reading, a responsive reading between the pastor and the congregation. The pastor will read a verse, the church will respond with another verse, then the pastor will read a verse, and then the church will respond to uh, another uh, with another verse, and so forth." And that is incorporated. So after a number of years, so many things are incorporated uh, into the church service that things get really complicated. And all the rituals, they continue on, even though after a certain point, few people even, even understand why they were incorporated in the first place. After a while, maybe a few brave soul, uh, souls, you know, they rise up and, and they say to the leadership of the church, you know, Whatever happened to simply singing songs to God and reading the Word of God? Let's do away with the candles, the robes, the holiday feast, the holy water, the kneeling, the uh, the responsive reading. Let's just get back to just singing songs and teaching the Word of God. Well, so oftentimes the leadership will respond, we can't do that, that's the way we've done it for years. And the end result... Is that God's church, which was established by Jesus to be this dynamic living organism. Empowered by the Holy Spirit is transformed into a dead, religious, powerless institution. You see, the history of the church happens over and over and over again. Until someone really starts reading the book of Acts and says, enough of the leadership. We need to start doing things like they are done in this book. That's why the book was put here by the Holy Spirit in the Bible because we have such a tendency to add to what God has given us. You know, Paul says to the Corinthian church, he says, I fear that just as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, so your minds may be corrupted from the Simplicity that is in Christ. There's a modern translation of that verse. Keep it simple, stupid. KISS. K-I-S-S. Keep it simple, stupid. When we complicate our life, when I complicate my life with all kinds of stuff, I need to remember, KISS, Steve, stupid, keep it simple. So uh, the book of Acts, it keeps us in line with that simplicity. So in chapter 14, we're right in the middle of a journey by the Apostle Paul. It's the first missionary journey that he takes. and And this sort of just chronicles through it from city to city to city. At the beginning of the previous chapter, chapter 13... Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church in Antioch to go throughout the eastern Mediterranean to declare the good news of God's Son, that he had come into the world, that he was crucified, that he rose again to give eternal life to anyone who believed. Now, I cannot possibly overemphasize how radical that was. The act of sending someone out, a church sending out someone, to another country to declare the good news about Jesus. Today, we take that type of thing for granted. At that time, no churches had ever done it, even though Jesus had told them to do it in Matthew 28. He said, go, go to other countries. Everyone stuck around. We can't leave where, you know, Jesus hung out. We got to hang out where Jesus hung out. But until Acts chapter 13 never happened, and not only that, in the history of Israel, in the history of Israel, no one had ever done that. With, of course, one exception. Who was that? Jonah. Jonah. And you, you, you saw what God had to do to send him out, right? The history of Israel, you ne- never see anyone going out to tell people about God. But Jesus came to establish really... Uh, a, a new covenant and to send uh, people out. And that's what we saw uh, in Acts chapter 13. And, and, and you know something? It's one of those things in the book of Acts. It's one of those oh-so-critical themes from the book of Acts. And that is this. You can't put God in a box. Just because it appears God has op- always operated one way doesn't mean that he doesn't want to today uh, operate in a different way. And, and, and we can't put them in a box. And Jesus, in John chapter 3, says this. He says, the wind blows where it wishes. You hear the sound of it, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And that's how ministry is in the book of Acts. Uh, it is. And, and there's this amazing, wonderful freedom about how uh, God gets things done. A Spirit-filled church. A Spirit-filled ministry always has to be open to doing things completely different than they have always been done. And you see this with Paul. One day he's talking to the governor about the word of God. The next day he's in the synagogue. The next day in the town square. The next day he's in a jail. And the next day he's in people's houses. He's in a temple at one point in Jerusalem. You cannot put God in a box. And that's what man is always trying to do. That's what I am always trying to do. It's, it's a way of sort of coping with our fear and anxieties in life, we, we try to sort of order our life in, in a particular way, but God wants to open up all that up so that we're trusting in Him, not in our own methods and and programs. So, what God is doing here at Calvary Chapel in the city on Sunday, October twenty fourth, two thousand ten, may be very different than how we got things done even Saturday, October twenty three. That's how the Lord is. It's the wonderful freedom about uh, the Holy Spirit and our relationship uh, with with the Lord. So. Uh, Let's pick up in verse 1 here, uh, verse 1 of chapter 14. It says, remember, they're in the middle of this journey. They're going sort of from city to city. And they reach this place called Iconium. And it says in verse 1, Now it happened in Iconium that they went together to the synagogue of the Jews and so spoke that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. So actually, why don't we beam up the map again? Can we beam up the map? Can you turn off the lights right here and send that up? So remember, we started down here in Jerusalem, which is somewhere around here. Paul and Barnabas went up to Antioch, In chapter 13, we were in Cyprus, and then we went from Cyprus up to Perga, and then from right now, uh, then we went to another Antioch in Pisidia, and then we're in Iconium. That's where we are in verse 1. By the end of the first six verses, we'll be in Lystra and Derbe, and this is like revolutionary stuff. They're going from city to city to city uh, to tell these places about God, about Jehovah. Never really had been done before, with the exception of one guy, Jonah. And he was really upset he got that assignment. Uh, But anyway, just wanted to give you a visual. uh, You can turn that off now. A visual of uh, of where they were going. It's uh, helpful as we go through this. All right. So, they are in Iconium, and it says that a great multitude, both of the Jews and of the Greeks, believed. Believed in what? Well, it doesn't say exactly what Paul shared with them that they went on to believe, but he's sharing the same message that I am sure that he shared in the previous city. Uh, In chapter 13, so just go to verse 38 and 39 of the previous chapter, and we will read the type of thing that he shared in Iconium, this new city, where a great multitude of uh, Jews and Greeks believed. Verse 38 says, and this is him speaking in his first sermon ever, really, Paul, says, Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that through this man, speaking of Jesus Christ, Through this man is preached to you the forgiveness of sins. And by him, everyone who believes is justified from all the things which you could not be justified by the law of Moses. So Paul is saying to them, you can try to be justified before God by following the law, the Ten Commandments. But no one's ever done that. Or you can be justified by faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so that's what he's sharing. Uh, again, Romans 8.2 is a similar message throughout the Bible. Uh, Paul says, for what, lo- what the law could not do, he says in Romans 8.2, God did by sending his son. So verse 1 says, a great multitude, both of the Jews and the Greeks, heard the message and believed. And then in verse 2. It says this, it says, but the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. So wherever, wherever God is doing a work, Satan's right there stirring up trouble. You will see this. Uh, Wherever God is working, Satan's stirring up trouble. We saw it last night. Last night, every Saturday night, we have a witnessing team that just goes out on the street and talks to people about Jesus, and, and a couple of the guys were sharing with a young man, and, and the young man was really into the conversation, as it was uh, told, reported back to me. He was asking all these questions, and he had problems with science and how that's reconciled with faith, and they were giving him some great, great answers there, uh, and after about a half hour, it was such a rich conversation some woman came up who had not seen the, uh, the young man for years. She came up and was, oh, I haven't seen you. How you doing? And then she goes, who are these guys? <laughs> and uh, the, the guy said, well, we're from Calvary Chapel in the city. And, and apparently she just broke out in laughter and just started laughing. She didn't hold back at all. Just, start, just got in their face, and, and then she just didn't stop. And the same thing. Same principle. Don't be surprised when you're sharing about the Lord with someone uh, that things like that don't happen. It says here, uh, they st- verse 2, it says, They poisoned their minds against the brethren, or they tried to, and, and, because it was not successful with many of them. And so, then in verse 3, it says, uh, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord. that's interesting it says therefore they stayed there a long time speaking boldly in other words because there was opposition they stayed (laughs) because there was opposition they hung out and they spoke boldly it says therefore they stayed the opposition was not a reason to flee it was a reason to stay You know, the United States of America is pretty adept at producing softy kind of Christians. Softies, wimps, pansies. At the slightest hint of opposition, they shut their mouth. They're silent. That's not Christianity. That's cowardice. And and, and listen, when we do things like that, we are robbing ourselves. Robbing ourselves from what? Robbing ourselves from seeing the hand of God in our lives. Look at, look at what happens in verse 3. Let's read the whole verse. It says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their Hands. Could it be, brother or sister, that you're not seeing the hand of God in your life because you're living out your faith in the closet? You can stay in the closet. God's not going to kick you out of the kingdom for doing that. The Bible's really clear about that. But might it be that you are robbing yourself from seeing the hand of God at work in your life? Life, But I tell you, there's no better way to see the hand of God than to to, to share about the goodness of Jesus with those around you. So um, another thing, I just want to spend a little time on here. It says, therefore, they stayed how long? A long time. A long long time. So there's all this opposition. There's these new believers in Christ, and Paul and his group stay there a long time doing what? Teaching them the Word of God. So we come to another theme in the book of Acts. You'll see it throughout the whole book. In fact, look at verse, the last verse of this chapter, verse 28. They're in another city by this time, uh, but it says, so they stayed there a long time with the disciples. Same, uh, same thing here. Paul typically tries to spend as much time as possible with those who believe in Christ. Why? To establish a strong foundation in the Word of God. The shallow, biblically illiterate Christian is not something that is ever promoted in the book of Acts. Acts. What is promoted is raising up men and women, boys and girls, with a strong foundation in the Word of God. That's why we take, you know, we, we go chapter by chapter around here through the Bible, building that foundation in the Word of God. You know, years ago, Stephanie and I, uh, uh, one of the pastors of a, of a church they were at, he told a story, a true story. Uh, quite a remarkable story, to say the least, uh, about a guy who was doing some painting on the top of his house, and the house had a steep pitch. It was like this, and so he didn't want to fall off, so he tied a rope to his ankle, and he climbed up on the roof, and he threw the rope over the top of the roof uh, to his son and told his son that, you know, please tie up this rope on something really sturdy. So what does the son do? He ties the rope to the back fender of the family car. So after a while, the guy's wife came out, needed to go shopping. She hopped in the car and uh, took off. Well, the guy flew over the top of the rope crashed onto the ground, and the woman drove almost a whole block before she looked in her rearview mirror, and what did she see? You know, her husband's being, you know, dragged along. The neighbors were like, man, I know the guy is a little lax taking out the garbage. This is a little ridiculous, you know. Well, fortunately, the guy didn't die, and he was eventually okay, okay. But listen, you know, what a illustration for... How many times we we build the wrong foundation for our lives? We build it in a career. We make that the foundation of our of our life. We do it with a relationship. You know, this relationship is gonna be the sort of the foundation of my life, or these children of mine, that's gonna be my my foundation or an education. And we tie ourselves up to these things, That eventually what happens, and oh, how often I see this in ministry. It winds up, sometimes takes years, winds up eventually just dragging people away. And an unbelievable amount of pain follows. Isaiah 51.1 says this, Look to the rock from which you were cut and to the quarry from which you were formed. Jesus said, build your life upon the rock. He said, upon this rock, I will build my church. What was the rock? That Jesus Christ is the son of God, the son of the living God. And that through a relationship with him, we have eternal life. And so, uh, how do you establish a foundation? By planning yourself for a long time. And, and, and if you're in ministry, ministering to people for a long time, I look at uh, some of the leaders of our church here. They've been with us for years, <laughs> sometimes a, a few of them 10 years, and we've been establishing them. Takes a long time. So uh, anyway, uh, let's continue. That's a theme, that, though, that we'll see throughout the book of Acts, that you just don't just run and someone gets saved and just leave them. You make sure that they're plugged in in some way. Verse 4 says, but the multitude of the city was divided. So you have some people embracing this message, other people saying, no way, man, this, this stuff, we're not buying this at all. It says, the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. And, then a, and, and when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentiles and Jews with their rulers, to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lyconia and to the surrounding region. And we just saw those up on the map. And so it says, verse 4 says, the multitude of the city was divided. So really, what was it? Let's dig down deep like we try to do. What exactly was it that, was dividing this city you say well it was jesus well that's right faith in jesus does divide in matthew chapter 10 verse 34 jesus speaking of the conflict that faith in that faith in that arises when people put their faith in him says this he says do not think that i came to bring peace on earth i did not come to bring peace but a sword For I've come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be those of his own household. And indeed, just Jesus divides. But what is it about him that divides? Well, verse 4 again, it says the multitude of the city was divided. Let's look at, just read the previous verse again and see if we can discover what was it that was dividing. It says in verse 3, therefore... They stayed there a long time speaking boldly in the Lord who was witnessing to the word of his, what? To the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. What was it that divided the city? What was it about Jesus? It was about grace, more specifically. It was about grace in Christ that divided. Grace divides. It does. Grace divides. Now, why on earth would something like grace divide? It sounds like such a wonderful thing. How could grace divide? Listen, here's the reason, and we see it in this chapter, because the grace which is in Christ Puts everyone on the same playing field. It puts everyone, you know, on the same playing field. The Bible says everyone is on level ground at the foot of the cross. And there's a lot of people who have a huge issue with that. Acts chapter 14, case in point. Again, verse 4, it says the multitude of the city was divided, part sided with the Jews, the other part sided with the apostles. Why the division? Well, let's talk about that. There's a Jewish synagogue. That's where Paul had gone to. At a Jewish synagogue, which is the Jewish place of worship, there were two groups of people there. There were Jews, and the Jews were in the core of the worship service. They're the heart of it. At each worship service, um, they're reading the law of Moses, they're Teaching from the law of Moses, meaning the Old Testament. They're reciting prayers, the Jews. But then the Jews were not the only one, only people present. There's another group of people. Uh, there were Gentiles, non Jews, who were gathered around the outer circle of the service. So if this room were a Jewish synagogue, you guys would be the Jewish folks, but then the people, uh, Gentiles, would sort of line the walls. And then you guys sitting on the back seats and stuff. You would be uh, the Gentiles. You were there as observers, but you really could not and were not allowed to participate in the service itself. Well, along comes Paul and Barnabas. And they get up there to speak, and they say this, By this man, Jesus Christ, your sins are forgiven. They're taken away. And by faith in him, anyone and everyone is justified from all the things that they could not be justified from by following the law. In other words, through faith in Christ, the Gentiles could come right into the front seats, right into the front row. And everyone is in one pot. Paul says in somewhere else, there's neither no Jew nor Greek, nor slave nor freeman, nor man or woman in Christ. They're all one. And man, these people, some of these folks had a big issue with that. Grace. It divides. So verse 1 says many Jews did accept the message, but many did not. So some Jews were like, wow, yeah, that I like this. My experience trying to follow the law to justify myself before God in that way, it's impossible. Who can ever do that? This is a burden that neither me nor my fathers could ever bear. I'm not, I'm, I like this message. And some Jews embraced it. But verse 2 says, there were Jews who did not. You mean to say that after we have been meticulously following all these laws. There was over 600 of them in the uh, Old Testament. After years of doing this, years and years, meanwhile, these Gentiles, they're out living like dogs. That's what they called them. They called the Gentiles dogs. We're just all going to be one happy family Let's get in do a big group hug? Are you kidding me? And there was division. Grace divides. Grace divides. I can't tell you how many examples, just in the world today, grace divides. We support Calvary Chapel missions uh, in India. And oh, how we have seen how grace divides in India. In India, you may know that Hinduism is the primary religious practice there, and there are different castes uh, from the Brahmin caste, which there's education, there's privilege, there's wealth to the untouchables who really have been completely disenfranchised historically. They're not allowed on trains. So if you see those pictures in India, the untouchables sit on top of the trains. They're not allowed in temples. They're not uh, allowed to be educated. They're only allowed to have a certain jobs. So what happens Calvary Chapel missions, Gospel for Asia. They go into uh, India and they preach the gospel of Christ that through the blood of Jesus, everyone is cl- cleansed from everything that they could possibly do under any, re- with, under any religious practice. You're all on a leveling pl- level playing field. Well, the Brahmins, among others, want nothing to do with that. And as a result, tremendous violence. Uh, KPU Hannon, who is from Gospel for Asia, who we've supported, says not a day goes by that he doesn't get an email of someone getting killed, beat up, ostracized, whatever. Grace divides. Calvary Chapel was started in the early '70s with who? The hippies. Someone got a bright idea. Hey, maybe we don't know. We, no one's been able to figure out how to handle these guys. Maybe we invite them to church. Ooh, what a radical idea. And, and so they invited him to church, and there was this tremendous revival. Oh, was there a tremendous backlash against that. I'll never forget uh, the story of, of, of one of the guys. I, I, it may have been John Corson, where he was going to a Bible college about 90 minutes north of Costa Mesa in California. And he got up, and one of the classes, uh, the, the professor said, uh, you know, he's talking to freshmen. There was a freshman class. It was the first day of school. And uh, he said, well, you no, know, let's talk about what churches that you can go uh, in this area. And he mentioned this church and that church and, you know, some other church down the street. But then he said, but uh, listen, I want to give you a warning. There's a church about an hour and a half south of here. He says, they play guitars there. They wear jeans in the service. You even see some people with bare feet, long hair. He goes, you need to stay away from that church. And John Corson said, he was thinking about it, he was like, wow. And he said, the second that bell rang, he jumped into his Volkswagen and you know cruised down the highway at 90 miles an hour and it was on a Wednesday night and he said he walked in he had never experienced the love of God in a church up until that moment there's a huge backlash at the time but to me the best example is the book of of how grace divides is in the book of Philemon and Philemon uh, owned a slave a slave ran away came to Paul in Rome, and Paul sends the slave back to Philemon with a letter saying, you need to receive this guy as your own brother. As my own brother? Are you kidding me? He's my slave. He's my property. No, you need to receive him as your own brother. Grace divides. On Tuesday nights, the women learned how to study the Bible through a method that was really sort of put together and developed by a woman named Kay Arthur, and Kay's in her mid to late 70s now, but Steffi and I were watching her testimony a few nights ago, and again, another remarkable <laughs> story, uh, this woman was came from a, an upper middle class kind of family and she got married and she had a few kids and uh, her, her husband was actually interesting in pursuing a, a, a life and career in ministry, although it was with a particular church that didn't teach the word of God, didn't honor it, didn't believe in it. And uh, so she she was not a Christian. She knew really nothing about Uh, the word of God and and, and the the freeing relationship that someone can have through Jesus Christ. And she signed this testimony that she was just sick of uh, her husband. He was too constraining or whatever. And she leaves with uh, a few of her kids and she just threw off all restraint in the area of, sexuality and sexual practice, and she was just going from one man to another. Now, keep in mind, this is the 50s, and, you know, I'm looking at this, <laughs> listening to this testimony, I'm looking at it, it's on a DVD, and she's like, and then I went with this guy and then another guy, and after a while, I start raising my eyebrows, well, you know, this is pretty amazing, and then, then she got involved with a guy, when she started getting involved with him, he had five kids and his wife was pregnant. And she was with this guy for two years, and this this went on for like uh, this this whole season of her life. After two years with this guy, she started looking around and realizing what she had done to her life, and she was just aghast. It was just a complete mess. She had dug a hole so deep. She was just chained down by this lifestyle. And, and she was she just became a wreck, and it started, you know, influencing the people around her. And oops, do I need to move the side here? Um, it, she started really having this terrible influence on the people around her. And uh, she got up one day, and she just said to herself, you know, Oh, how I wish that I could just be born again. How I wish I could be born again and just start all over. Start all over with a clean slate. Well, it, it wasn't for but uh, a few weeks where someone shared the word of God with her that said, Jesus not only says you can be born again, he says you must be born again. And just how this, this freeing message of a relationship with Jesus just took over her life. And, and now this woman, you know, 40 years later, being used in, in, in just this incredible uh, way. But she is side by side with women who may have lived there whole life completely uh, you know faithful to their husbands uh, in in all respects from an outside observer lived a righteous moral life she's on equal plane equal standing being used just as much if not much much more that is grace that's the message of grace now Paul says Once you start in grace, never go back. In other words, don't continue in the flesh in your own strength what God, by grace, started in the spirit. And, And what he means by that is not only are you born again through grace, but you live every single day by grace. So we don't come to church based upon how our last week was. You know, I may have yelled at my wife or I may have yelled at my, one of you may have yelled at your husband or you may have uh, cheated or gotten drunk, fallen into immorality, whatever. Now, God doesn't want to keep you living with that pattern of conduct. But you now have the righteousness of Christ. The Bible says that when you're saved, you're as righteous as you will ever be for all eternity. So we don't go to church based upon how our past week was. We go to, to church based upon who we are in Christ. And, and it's just such a radical way of, of looking at things. And, and this is the message that Paul brought to this city, which just caused the city to go into an uproar. People couldn't handle that kind of grace. When you teach grace from pulpits... Inevitably, what, you, uh, what, what a pastor such as um, I will have to go through is someone say, if you teach that, people will go just run out and they'll go to the brothels, they'll go you know, cheat, they'll go you know, cheat on their wives or, or husbands, they'll go do whatever they want to do, knowing they're forgiven. But the Bible says that anyone who has ever really tasted grace doesn't do that. They ask Paul that in Romans chapter 6. He says, well, why don't we just go out and just have a free-for-all? If, you know, if it's all about grace, then let's multiply sin that grace may abound. And he says, what are you, crazy? Why would I ever do that? See, someone who's actually experienced grace, they don't want to go back. They want to move forward with the Lord. And this is what divides. This is what divides oftentimes the body of Christ because religion seeps in Rituals are added to the church, different practices, things get really complicated, and man doesn't want to tear them down. God does. But when he tears them down, people start going bananas. And that's what happened in Acts chapter 14. So, this again is just the beginning. It's going to get a lot more intense. Uh, He's chased out of this uh, city, Iconium. It's going to get a lot more intense uh, uh, as we go through this chapter. We will. uh, pick up there uh, next week. but why don't we now close with the tunnels coming back up? or Rick, you come back up, just one of you and we'll, uh, we'll close in prayer. Father, I just thank you so much for this word of grace. Grace divides Lord, but we want to be on the right side of the division, Father. We don't want to be the one shaking our fists. We want to be the ones who just accept, Lord, that the blood of Jesus cleanses all of sin. And through faith, we're all on level playing field. We can't say that there's something more special about us than the next guy. We're all on the level playing field. Lord, we want to be on the right side of this division. We want to be graceaholics. We want to be grace to no ends, Lord. We want to uh, live it and breathe it and give it to everyone around us, Lord. Teach us that, Lord, even as we're going through this book, the book of Acts. Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, please rise. We're going to close with a worship song.